Blog Talk Radio. Wealthy Sisters is on the air. Wealthy Sisters, the show that features six- and seven-figure-earning women of color. Tune in Mondays at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time as entrepreneur, author, speaker Deborah Hartnett showcases the triumphant journey of these powerful sisters. You'll be inspired, encouraged, and informed every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. Our call-in number is 347-838-9278 or listen live 24 hours a day at www.wealthysisters.com. Now, our host, Deborah Hardnett. Well, hello and welcome to Wealthy Sisters, sponsored by the professional black woman. You can visit us at www.thepbw.com. Wealthy Sisters is where we celebrate the lives of six- and seven-figure earning women of color, and our purpose is twofold. First, we love to inspire and encourage you, the listener, and second, we want to edify, promote, acknowledge, and say thank you to the sisters for doing big things. I'm Deborah Hartnett, your host, broadcasting live on the Worldwide Blog Talk Network, and today is another fabulous Monday, starting the week out just right. Monday, May 16, 2011, and I know, I know you are as excited about your future as I am because, trust me, it's extremely bright. And, you know, we are here every week at the same time. That's Mondays at 12 noon Eastern, so do us a favor and spread the good news. We've got positive, positive information, practical information, wisdom that can help you today. Well, today we are so excited. Um, We're talking about Trailblazers, when you look at that word, that is a person, that's someone that goes out there and leads and makes a path. Now, it's not like that road has already been paved. A lot of times if you just visualize this, now we see a, a beautiful building and we see your home. If you've ever had a home built before and you've had to see the, the trees cleared, the land cleared, leveled, the foundation laid, that's what a trailblazer does. And our guest today is a Oh, I mean, an amazing, her story is so powerful. We are so excited to have her. She happens to be the first black female MBA from Harvard now. So you know what I need you to do right now. You need to call everybody, tweet them, Facebook them, send them a a fax. Tell them to dial 347-838-9278 right now, 347-838-9278, so they can listen live or tune in to the web at www.wealthysisters.com. That's wealthysisters, S-I-S-T-A-S.com. And you can always know this. You can listen to our shows um, 24 hours a day at that web address at wealthysisters.com. You can also download us free from iTunes. We're available. So for those of you all who have your iPods, you in the car, you're jogging, you want to hear something positive, something practical, using your collapsing time frame to help you with your business today, tune in to our show. And remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and also here. Now, you've got to hear this phenomenal bio of Mrs. Lincoln, excuse me, 
Lillian Lincoln Lambert. She speaks about the power of persistence, resilience, courage, and morality in surmounting hurdles. The first as I mentioned earlier, African-American woman to receive an MBA from Harvard Business School and a successful entrepreneur, she draws upon her experiences using her personal story to show how to use obstacles and barriers as stepping stones to higher levels of achievement. She encourages her audience to dream big, act bold, and pay their own path. We are so excited to know that she is here today on our show. She's going to discuss with us how she went from Howard University and got her B.A. to um, going to Harvard. So as you tune in, we're going to take a short break, come back, and listen to none other than our special guest today, Miss Lillian Lincoln Lambert. We'll stay tuned. This segment is sponsored by WillDrake.com. That's www.WillDraike.com. The hot new suspense novel, Bad and Worse, A Tale of Men, published by Permal Coast Publishing. Sometimes the only way to stop a killer is to love him. Available in stores November 2000. Business leaders, are you ready to soar? Success is not defined by your wings, but by your courage to leap from the cliff's edge and fly. With Fortune 500 expertise, the Beatty Group partners with creative and motivated leaders, weaving structure and innovation for maximum business success. Visit us at thebeattygroup.com. That's T-H-E-B-A-T-I-E group.com. Or call the Beatty Group at 877-264-7699. Yes, we're live back on Wealthy Sisters with our fabulous guest today, Ms. Lillian Lincoln Lambert. She received the Harvard Business School Alumni Achievement Award, which is the highest honor for an alumni. She is the owner and the president of the building maintenance company that she started in her garage with a few thousand dollars. The company grew to $20 million in sales with more than 1,200 employees. So do we have your attention now? If you want to learn how to make it happen, truly, you want to tune in to our special guest today, Ms. Lincoln Lambert. Hello. Welcome to Wealthy Sisters. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be on your show. Yes, indeed. Just what an honor, what an amazing trailblazer you are. And uh, I'd be just just. I'm sure you you've been given that that uh, title of the Midas touch because I'm sure <laughs> everything you touch with purpose turns to gold. So welcome again to Wealthy Sisters. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yes, well, we just really uh, would love to hear. There's so much we're going to try to pack it into this hour. The time goes by so fast, but. Why don't you start out and uh, share with us where you actually grew up and how that path started for you to Harvard. I grew up in a very small town in Powhatan, Virginia, about 50 miles west of Richmond, Virginia, on a small farm with very little exposure to the outside world beyond that farm uh, that I lived on. Matter of fact, until I was 17 and 18 years old, I, the furthest I'd been from home was to Richmond, which was, I'd say, 50 miles away. So my world was very small, and I had no idea what existed or what opportunities there were for me outside of that. I just knew that there had to be something better than the farm. 
Mm-hmm. So I said, I got to find it. Now, my you had mom, to find it. I had okay. to find it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what I was looking for. I just knew I was looking for something other than what I was living day to day on the farm. Uh-huh. I guess I'm somewhat of a more of adventurous of the of my, my I'm the youngest of of uh, five kids that my mom had, and I'm probably the only one that was an adventurous and trying something new or going places I'd never been. But when I finished high school, one would think, okay, she's headed to college. Well, college wasn't on my agenda then. I wanted to go to the big city because I hadn't been there, and I mm-hmm. thought the pot of gold was waiting for me in New York City. So mm-hmm. that's what I did when I graduated from high school on this little farm. I headed to New York City. Now, if you can only imagine what that may have been like for someone with the background that I had going to some place like New York City. I'd never mm-hmm. been there. had no idea what the place was like. But I somehow thought that dream job was just waiting for me and I was going to make a lot of money and maybe meet this charming young man and start a family. And I could barely get a job when I got to New York with my high school diploma and some ideas of something that was not very clearly defined. Uh-huh. So I floundered for a couple of years in New York and left uh, New York, moved to Washington, D.C., and floundered for another couple of years. Now, my mom was a college graduate from Virginia State, is which is what right? is now Virginia State. It was wow. then called the Normal Industrial Institute. She graduated from there in 1922. Wow. So it was a rarity for a black woman to have a college degree. But my father was not educated. So sometimes mm-hmm. there was conflict in my household on the value of education, but mom still pushed. She pushed for education. She wanted me to go to college, but they didn't have any money. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know how we are at 18 years old. We know everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I used that as an excuse not to go to college. I don't have any money mm-hmm. to go, so I can't go. And I also mm-hmm. thought I didn't need a college education. I just was, I'd done well in high school, so obviously there's some great job waiting for me to fill it, that was not mm-hmm. the case. Mm-hmm. So after about four years of floundering around trying to make a living, living from hand to mouth, I decided uh, my, I had a cousin who had gone to college. He kept talking to me every time I saw him. He mm-hmm. wanted to know why I wasn't going to college. Why don't you go to college? So I used to, I, start, I tried avoiding him because I didn't want to hear the song <laughs> and dance about going to college. <laughs> Finally, reality set in, and I realized that I could not, make it in this world without a college education. So I swallowed my pride and went to my cousin who had been talking to me for years about going to college and asked if he could help me find scholarship money or loans or whatever, Uh just find the money to go to school. And he did. So I was a 22-year-old freshman at Howard, uh, and I had had, um, successfully gotten a scholarship there and what was then called a national defense loan, which was a low interest rate loan. And I worked part-time the four years that I was there. So that's how I ended up at Howard. At Howard. Now, yes. did you did you know at the time, you know, that, that there was something called loans, or you just, just had heard it was some kind of way to get there? Or I didn't know. At the t- I had no idea how uh-huh. to even start 
looking mm-hmm. for something for college. I didn't know anything about loans or scholarships. Now, my mm-hmm. cousin who helped me, he's about five or six years older than I am, and he had grown up in the same area that I grew up, not far, raised by his grandparents. But I guess mm-hmm. at a young age, he was more resourceful than I was. He His mind was mm-hmm. on finding a way to go to college. My mind was on finding a way to get off this farm to go to a, the big city. <laughs> The big city. <laughs> the big city. <laughs> what did you want to do? What you wanted? I wanted to be a secretary. <laughs> I wanted to be a secretary. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought that uh-huh. was a great job. Uh-huh. I wanted to be a secretary, uh-huh. but when I got to New York, there was nobody hiring young black girls from the South. Mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. the night, mm-hmm. this was in nineteen, the late fifties, fifty-eight, fifty-nine, mm-hmm. something like that. You mm-hmm. know, segregation was still a very strong thing, even in New York City. Mm-hmm. So I. The the only job that I could find when I got to New York was working as a maid. Mm. I worked for a family on on uh, Fifth Avenue, mm. and but I said this is not the life for me. Mm-hmm. I I say I could have stayed in Virginia. To stayed do on that, that farm. Huh? Yeah, I stayed on mm-hmm. the farm to be mm-hmm. a maid. Mm-hmm. But I had mm-hmm. to do it at the time because I didn't have any money and there was no one providing money for me and I had bills to pay. So I worked mm-hmm. as a maid and then I I finally did get a job in Macy's. Mm-hmm. Um, in their comparison shopper's office as a clerk typist, but only took me three tries to even get that job. And I finally mm-hmm. had to, as I put it now, I finally had to create some experience because they were only mm-hmm. hiring people with experience, and I had mm-hmm. none. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just made up some experience, hoping they wouldn't check it <laughs> yes, out. I heard that create. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You did what you had to do. <laughs> I did what I had to do to get what I needed at that time. And uh-huh. luckily, they luckily they did not check my references, mm-hmm. which didn't exist. And mm-hmm. I kept that job, and I stayed in it for about a year and a half. But I still couldn't I couldn't make any money when I got my paycheck every week, and I was paid every week. I needed to get my paycheck in order to get bus fare home that day. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't getting anywhere. And mm. and that's when I decided maybe I'm in the wrong city. I'm, I moved to Washington D.C. and mm. I got a government job, which was really exciting. I just knew this was it. At the Veterans Administration as a clerk typist, Hard, wow. I hated that job. It you was, made I it. <laughs> I was te- typing in a typing pool, using mm. what most people today don't even know what they are—a dictaphone machine. Mm, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. You heard of wow. it. Right? <laughs> yes, I have. I've used one. <laughs> we were typing medical reports uh dictated by doctors. Um mm. they were reports of veterans' appeals for being disallowed uh uh disability. So I, I stayed on that for uh, uh almost two years and one day I just said I was the youngest person in the typing pool. There were about thirty women and I they were all at least 10 years older than I was. Mm-hmm. And one day I just looked at, I walked in and I said, I cannot do this the rest of my life. I've got to find a way out of here. You saw your future in their eyes, huh? <laughs> That's right, I did. And I uh-huh. said, I can't do this. I can't be sitting uh-huh. here 20, 30 years from now typing these reports and uh, just being being monitored by a clock, punching this clock on the dot. So that at that time, and I was living with a family, and there was a, happened to be a young man who lived with a, this family was a nephew, and he was going to Howard, and he started inviting me to some uh, social events, parties that the students were having, and that was fun. So I said, you know, this college life might be kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so I said, uh, then I started thinking about, hmm, maybe I would like need to go to college. And I, that's when I decided to approach my cousin and ask him to help me find money. I had no idea what to ask. I said, I want to go to college. I'm ready. How can I pay for this? And he helped me apply for the loans and the uh, scholarship. And fortunately, there was always someone in my path looking out for me. I call these people my guardian angels, even before when I first left home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were always there providing some kind of assistance for me. And when I enrolled at Howard, I went to the um, student employment office, and there was a lady there who was the director of the office. I'll never forget her name was Marion Coons. She always made sure there was a job for me. So, because she knew I had to work, I worked the whole time I was in school. But the person who probably had the greatest influence on me at, at Howard was one of my professors. He taught uh, marketing courses in the business department. Because when I went to Howard, I didn't know what I was going to major in either. I just knew I needed education. Yeah. But I took first year of course, first semester I think I took these basic courses I needed. And then I enrolled in this introduction to business course where I met uh, Professor H. Naylor Finchhugh, who um, became my mentor. And that's mm-hmm. that's what really got me started on the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he um, sort of took me under his wing and helped guide me through this maze at Howard and introduced me to business. And he's the person wow. who influenced me to go to Harvard. Wow. Now, what was your reaction when he first told you, you know? I just knew him like he had to be crazy. <laughs> you know, Harvard was not on my radar screen. Uh-huh. I thought everyone who went to Harvard were either very, very rich mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. genius mentality. Okay. And okay. I, you know, the I knew I was I was fairly smart in school, but uh, the the rich part certainly didn't apply to me, and right. he spelled that myth and told me I was Harvard material and that that's where I should go. Now he had gone to Harvard in the 1930s and was one of the first um, African American men to get a degree there. I think in 1933, I believe. What he did not tell me is no black women had ever gone. And I, I wow. think he probably knew that, but he didn't tell right. me. So I think he saw qualities in me that probably I didn't see in myself. He must have known that I could handle that process. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think it's probably best he didn't tell me that because I'm not sure I would have gone had I known yeah, that's they how didn't putting that label on Harvard you. until 1963. You say, say that again? 60. Pardon? You, what did you say in 63? They didn't allow women to attend the business school until 1963. Uh-huh. And it was it was, all, it was an all-male school for years. Yeah. And I went in 1967. But even wow. when I got there, I say they weren't ready for women even then. We could not live on the business school campus. We had to live at Radcliffe, which was about uh, a mile from the school, half a mile, mile, maybe a mile from the school. We had to walk to school. Uh huh. 
So there were disadvantages. Out of a student body of um, first and second year combined, about 1,600 students, there were 35 women and nine blacks, eight guys mm. and me, three guys in and the second year class, five guys at, in the first year class with me. Wow. This was during the, what I call the tumultuous 60s, during the civil rights movements, the women's rights movements, the Vietnam War, the college sit-ins, Martin Luther King's assassination, President Johnson deciding not to run. There was Everything was in turmoil, economic, mm-hmm. political, colleges. All. Now, I'm not sure if it's something uh, in the phone line. It's, it's, yeah, where I you, it sounds like somebody's calling in someplace. I checked my house. Yes. My husband is... Okay. Outside, so nobody on my phone okay. here. Okay. Okay. So, but I'll you, tell you, maybe you I'll were... switch phones and see if it's something different. Okay. okay. I'm hearing a noise also. Okay. Okay. While we're that. waiting. Okay. Okay. I'll call to it. You got it. All right. Hello. Are you there? Yes. Uh huh. Just need to hear you. Or, I just need to hear you more. Hello. Okay. Hello. Hello. Okay, that's better. Are you there? Yes, ma'am. That's much better. Can you hear us? Okay. Hello. Okay. Miss Lincoln Lambert? All right. We're going to take a short break and come right back, give her an opportunity to get the phone lines because she's getting good into this great information. You all stay tuned. We're going to take a short break. Hello? All right. Are you there? I'm here. I don't know what happened. Oh, okay. You can You can hear us now? I can hear you. Okay, wonderful. Okay, well we'll pause on the break because I was I was um really getting into what you were saying. I know our audience was as well. You were talking about the time. Um it was very tumultuous. Everything was happening. A lot of uh change was was taking place. What Oh, there it is again. What I'll do is let me take a short break and maybe just hang up and dial back in. I'll try that. And I'll give you an opportunity to do that. We'll go to a commercial break, give you an opportunity to do that. Stay tuned. You're listening live to Wealthy Sisters. Our special guest today is Ms. Lillian Lincoln Lambert. She is yes. the first black female from MBA, graduate graduate with her MBA from Harvard. And uh, she's going to take a short second here to get the lines together. This information is getting so powerful here. So stay tuned. We'll come right back after this short commercial break. Again, thank you for tuning in to Wealthy Sisters. Would you like to reach quality professionals? Expose your product and services to thousands on a monthly basis? Advertise with the Wealthy Sisters Media Group. Our packages include both on-air and website banner placement. Call our offices today at 1-800-917-9435, extension 803, or visit our website at www.wealthysisters.com to begin building your brand today. Hi there, this is Bill Lee. 
I'm a voice talent, and I want to work for you. Just email me at bill at billlee.net. For God so loved the world. We've probably all heard the start to this verse, but what does it really mean in our daily lives? At FedEx, we understand you want a partner who can help you go global. That's why FedEx delivers next business day by 10.30 a.m. from more major international cities than any other express carrier. FedEx, another day, another dollar saved. Yes, we are live back on Wealthy Sisters. Our very special guest today is Ms. Lillian Lincoln Lambert. And she's um, here, also the author of The Road to Someplace Better, from the segregated South to Harvard Business School and Beyond, which was released just last year uh, by John Wiley and Son. And we're excited to have her on the show. We're going to give her an opportunity to call back in. Also want to let everybody know the PBW Tour Back off on June 13th. I hope you all have registered. Uh, I'm telling you, those seats are going fast. The complimentary admission is uh, there, but you got to RSVP. Make sure you go to the PBW.com. We are coming to a city near you. Uh, well, we're going to Birmingham, Buena Vista, Charlotte, uh, Louisville, Miami, uh, Milwaukee, Chicago, Vegas, Los Angeles. Do I, I mean, I can tell you it's over 35 cities will be there between June and October. So make sure you go to the PBW.com and click on the flyer right there on the home page, and we will see you there. Uh, you can RSVP as well. And also, for those of you all who like to market your products, you can also do that as well, be able to drop uh, gift items in the bags, and all that information will be right there on the site. So go to the PBW.com again. Also, we are so excited. Today is the official release of the book, which is a spinoff of our radio show, Wealthy Sisters, and it is Wealthy Sisters, 13 Inspiring Stories Proving That You Can Do It Too. So uh, the book features there. You have to have to get a hold of your copy today. You can go to uh, Wealthy Sisters Publishing to get your copy. Uh, also, it will be available uh, by June 5th on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, some of those stories are from Miss Alilia Bundles, Dr. Elon Bumani, the firm Beatty, uh, Gina Berry, Darnielle Jervy, my mentor Linda Clemens, Miss Powerhouse Colleen uh, as well, Colleen Payne. So just to name a few, uh, get that book today. Go to www.wealthysisterspublishing.com and get your copy today. Now, we, as we said earlier, we have a, a powerhouse guest on our show today, and great. It looks like she's back on the line. Hello, Miss Lily. Hi, I am back. I have absolutely no idea what was happening with the phone. <laughs> That's I don't okay. know whether it was it's, here it's or what. technology. That's all yes. it is. <laughs> it's learning to roll with the punches. That's right. That's right. And you know what? I always get excited when I hear stuff like that because I know that means it's just powerful information coming from our guests that's, that's trying to be prevented. So you were sharing about the times um, when yes. you went to Harvard. And, I mean, you all couldn't even live on campus. And you said no. you were like a mile away. That's That's incredible. Right, uh, it was. We lived in the right about a mile away, mm-hmm. and um, 
had to walk to school. Mm. Mm. So and and we had uh, all the men, all the professors were white men, no women, mm-hmm. no people mm-hmm. of color. I didn't see people mm-hmm. of color in any of the administrative jobs or mm-hmm. faculty. Mm-hmm. And we there were they were divided into sections of one hundred students in each section. They made sure that there were no more than two women in each section. Wow. So it was and what I found later and I didn't realize this until the uh, uh until I was writing the book, the other women there were they were very intimidated too because the men many of the men there felt that Women shouldn't be there anyway. They were taking a seat that should be occupied by a man. Right. Preferably uh-huh. a white man at that. So uh-huh. it was uh-huh. unusual times. And uh, I felt somewhat invisible on campus. It's not overt discrimination or racism that you that hit you in the face, but it was like people didn't even recognize that you were there. No one made an right. effort to make sure you felt comfortable, included, or anything. You were... It was uh, survival of the fittest, I guess. <laughs> you were mm-hmm, on your own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it wasn't a very, people asked me, did I enjoy my two years? It was not a very pleasant two years. I was very isolated. I was very lonely. I didn't know anybody there. And the, the workload was very uh, tremendous, very heavy workload. The weather was very cold. So it wasn't a very pleasant kind of experience. But mm-hmm. I had a I had a goal. My my reason for being there was to get my degree. Mm-hmm. So I had to stay focused. Had I not remained focused on what my ultimate goal was, it was very easy to quit. And I I, I tried a couple times. I thought about it. I made an effort to quit once, and mm. uh, I got threatened by not threatened but challenged by a professor who I thought was going to be sympathetic to my story. My my father passed while I was there too. And I used the excuse of having to go home to stay with my mother and take care of her, and I went to talk to this professor. And he just looked at me and said, okay, you can quit. Well, I thought he was going to be sympathetic. and You know how sometimes, as I say, yeah. I, I tell people canceling the pity party. You feel yeah, sorry yeah. for yourself, and you want to have this little pity party and started inviting everybody to come. And when <laughs> folks are turning down your invitation, you begin to look at, you know, do I really need to have this party? Right. So once I got through that, it was okay. I have a mission. My goal is to get my degree and move on with my life. Now, when I finished, recruiters weren't knocking down the door to hire me either. I mean, it was like probably they thought, "What? These are new times. What are we going to do with uh, black woman at Harvard MBA?" Yeah, (laughs) there was nobody else out there like me. Now what? (laughs) (laughs) So I actually had four different jobs over a six-year period. And during that time, uh, moving from job to job was not the norm. You got a job and people expect you to stay there for years, not like today. Mm -hmm. But I I first went to work with a small consultant firm that I, I, I met in the Boston area, they had an office in D.C. I moved back to D.C. I got married during my second year, uh, between my first and second year, which probably was not a wise decision, but looked like it at the time. Um, <laughs> and I worked with them until they closed their Washington office. And then I was an executive with the National Bankers Association. They finally lost their funding, 
and term, uh, my job ended, I then became a stockbroker, which I really hated. I then taught at Bowie State for a year. And it's only because I never know who is watching you and your performance. So you've always it's always important to do your best in whatever it is you do or whatever your job. Even and, if you're not liking it <laughs> or you don't feel like that's where you're, you're going to stay. You know, am I going in and out of hearing me? Oh no, no! I was saying. I said you, I was just agreeing with what you're saying. It's always oh. good to do your best, even if you know, even if right. it's something that you you don't really want to do right now. If it's a time, right. even if you don't want to stay. Even when I had that uh-huh. job in uh, New York and working as a maid, I hated it, but I did a good job. Mm-hmm. But oh, now you are had worked under my supervision when I had that consultant job in D.C. Not in, yeah, in D.C. And she uh-huh. told me that her oh, firm. You did break up there. You said you had a, a call from someone and she... I had a call from a young lady who worked with me on when I was working at the consultant firm. Uh-huh. And she told me her father had a janitorial firm and he had lots of problems. She told him that he should hire me to come in and work those work those work out those problems for him. And she only did that because she had seen me work do work on consultant assignments previously and she was aware of my abilities. So I knew at that time absolutely nothing about the janitorial business. Didn't even know if I really even wanted to know anything about it. Uh but agreed that I would go meet with him. And that's when I got exposed to that industry and mm-hmm. found out it it was a very lucrative industry. People were making lots of money. Very few women in the business except as employees of these larger companies owned, all owned by men. I didn't know any other women who owned this type of business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But about 80 or 90% of the workers were female. So oh, after cool. three years of working there with him, learning the business, getting exposed to it, I decided to start my own business in that industry. And people ask me, why would you want to, here you have a Harvard MBA, why would you want to job, work with a company like that? It's not a glamorous industry. Well, first of all, I had experience in that industry, so I learned a lot at someone else's expense. Mm-hmm. It was a growing business, one that was very lucrative, and I didn't actually go out and do the work. As people, I tell people, it's better to own the mop than to push the mop. Push the mop. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I managed all of those resources that went out to do work in the in the various office. Oh, hello. It looks like we lost her. Yeah, we we're going to give her an opportunity to call back in. If you have just dialed in, you are listening live to Wealthy Sisters. And we are excited to uh, have our very special guest today, Miss Lillian Lincoln Lambert, who is telling her story, how she was the first black female MBA from Harvard and uh, created a business of her own, a company that she grew to $20 million in sales with more than 1,200 employees. So it looks like we have her back on the line. Hello? I have absolutely no idea what's happening. I heard a dial tone. That's okay. There's no one in my house unless there's a ghost here. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's no problem. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so you were you were telling them they wanted to know why in the world that you want to yes. start a business, and you told them it's better to own the mop than to push the mop. That's right. That's right. I knew the business, so I had mm-hmm. learned the business at someone else's expense, and that's what I tell people now. If you're going into business. Try to go into a business you know something about. Otherwise, you're right. starting at ground zero and you've got to, the learning curve. You can eliminate that learning curve if you've worked in the industry. Now, sometimes right. you can uh, do secondary research, do research and learn about the business, but even that, I found having actually worked in the business was a tremendous asset. that put me way ahead. And as a consequence, I was able, when I went in business, I was profitable from the very first year, which is not mm-hmm. normal, usual for most startups. I made mm-hmm. money for the first nine years before I lost any money, and that was a real shock the first year I lost it. Wow, oh, that is, wow, that is amazing. That's why we called you a trailblazer, yes. Yeah, yes. but I, I, knew, wow. I knew things to do, and I also knew some things not to do. Right. So Would you that say that was the biggest lesson you learned from your previous employer, what not to do? That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Uh, those things not to do were very, that was very good not, information to have. Mm-hmm. And I saw some things that he was doing running his business. Oh, no, he can't do that. I saw mm-hmm. the trouble he got into mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. that created. Mm-hmm. And it was much harder to correct things that you did incorrectly than to just start out doing it the right way from the beginning. Right, 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 right. That's why it's so important to to, to have your book um, on the market like that, that people can, can read. And, and we just uh, released our new book today, Wealthy Sisters, The mm. 13 Inspiring Stories. Um, that's a spinoff of the radio show because, you know, learning from others' mistakes or others' journeys can really be a way to help save on your money and your expenses and help you gain that profit margin like you did. I mean, the first nine years, that's incredible mm-hmm. uh, to to do that. That's that's wonderful. Well, our lines are lighting up. We have people that have questions. They love okay. to be able to ask you, would you mind being able to take a few questions before the show ends here? I'd love to. That's the most interesting uh, okay. And I can tell people All things right. they want to know instead of stuff I think they need to know. All right, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. We have a caller out of the six oh one. I, I want to say, is that Mississippi? Yes, Hello? it is. That's your name, and where are you calling from? Hi, my name is Terry, and I'm calling from Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, hello, hello to you and to you, Mrs. Lambert. Hello um, there. Hi. Um, I would like to know what was your biggest obstacle that perhaps kind of made you want to give up when you were at Harvard. That's a great question. Wow. It was probably the the isolation, I guess the isolation coupled with the workload that just, the workload, even though it was a lot and very difficult, I felt I could overcome that. But, you know, sometimes you, you, you feel so isolated away from everything. Mm-hmm. There's nothing uh, mm-hmm. that you're involved in or people you can connect to. My saving mm-hmm. grace there was one of the young men who uh, was in my class. He was married, and he and his mm-hmm. wife lived in the apartment nearby school. And I got to meet her, and she, I spent a lot of time at her apartment. And mm-hmm. she was a real lifesaver. She and I are friends even to today. 
Wow. And I'm now divorced, but we are still friends, and I talk all the time. I'm not sure what I would have done without somebody to talk to, and you were that <laughs> somebody. Said you know, that. I don't know why I didn't venture out into Boston and other places nearby to just meet people, but but somehow I just this adventurous person had all the, the adventure had gone for some reason, and yeah, I'd done a lot busy. of adventure. You had a heavy workload. Well, I did. I did have a heavy mm-hmm. workload, but I'm, I'm sure had I looked for a few hours here and there on a weekend, I could have gone someplace. You know, find a church or someplace in Roxbury was the town, but I didn't even do that. Mm-hmm. So the, the made that's what made me give up, I guess, most of all the fact that I felt so isolated there, and uh, uh, it you know, like feeling being in feeling as if you're invisible is a very uncomfortable feeling. You know, yeah, that was yeah. the one thing I think that made me want to quit. Just let me get around some people I know and feel comfortable with. Right, to go back to but that comfort zone. As I zone. thought about it, after a while, I, th- I thought about this mission and the fact that if I gave up, what would be the message that I'd be sending to the next black woman who wanted to apply? You know, it's very mm-hmm. quick sometimes for them to say, well, we had one, and she mm-hmm. didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to be in that, put anyone in that position either. I felt I had an obligation to complete my degree uh, Professor Fitzhugh, who was my mentor at Howard, had, had worked so hard to convince me to go, and my mom wanted me to go to college. So I said, you know, it's not a, not just for me that I'm doing this, but I had no I had no idea at the time that no black woman had gone through. I didn't know that when I was there. Wow! When I did you that, figure I, that out? I, I found it out later. I didn't I didn't concentrate. I know there was not one in my class, and there was not one right. in the class ahead of me. But right. I didn't know that no one else had gone through that program. Had you graduated uh, before yeah. you realized that? I had graduated. Wow. Wow. What was that moment like? I you know, mean, I don't even remember exactly how I found out. People started telling me about it, and I'm saying, oh, really? <laughs> That's it. Oh, wow. That's a perfect example of being so focused on what you're doing that you, you don't even know, you don't even realize it until it's over. Yeah, I didn't bother wow. to check and ask anybody and look into that. Uh-huh. And, and, uh-huh. and then after people started talking about it, I began to ask questions. It uh-huh. wasn't something that was um, how on my list. I, as I said, I didn't go there to make history. Right. I didn't know I was making history. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. I don't know if I answered, Have, but that's uh, that's probably for me, and that, I'm sure there are lots of things that people experience in unpleasant situations that may cause them to want to quit. But uh, but my, what I say is, you've got to be focused on what your ultimate goal is, mm-hmm. and you may have take to take a, a detour, or, or mm-hmm. jump over hurdles, or go under hurdles, or go around them somehow. Mm-hmm. Just figure mm-hmm. a way to do that. Mhm, mhm. Wonderful. That's a powerful, powerful testimony there. We're going to go to another call. It looks like this is the D.C. area, 202-573. Welcome to Wealthy Sisters. State your name and where you're calling from. Hi, my name is Brianna Burrow. I'm a student, and I am calling from Lowell, Maryland. All right. Welcome. Okay. Say I used hello. to live in that area. I used to live in Bowie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice area. <laughs> Well, my question is question? Lambert, and I wanted to know which obstacles did you face going to an elite college such as Harvard? Okay. 
Uh, th- probably like some of the same things that I just talked about in, in, the, in the when I answered the previous question. Um, the professors, I can't say that they made and showed any real difference to me as far as being a woman or a black female. They didn't. They didn't ex- have any lesser expectations. I don't think, mm-hmm. or showed any way that I was special or that they would let me off the hook because of my race or gender. So it it was, at, at Harvard, I guess the biggest challenge was, as I mentioned, the workload was heavy. They also teach strictly by the case method, which it means that when you register for class, they give you a stack of cases with actual business situations, you have to read those cases and come up with solutions to the problem that the person in that case faces. And your ninety, at least 90% of your grades depends on class participation. So I particularly, and I found out later, the other women too were very intimidated about speaking out in class because she had all mm-hmm. these aggressive, powerful men who were talking all the time, Luke whether they knew what they were talking about or not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, and uh-huh, you just had uh-huh. to, I call it fighting for airtime. <laughs> you had to make sure that you said something in class. Otherwise, the professor wouldn't know who you were. And your grade, depending on your speaking up in class and analyzing those cases. So that was a real challenge at Harvard. Now, one of the benefits for me was the fact that when I was at Howard, my professor there, Professor Fitzhugh, who had gone to Harvard, he used used the case method of teaching in many of his courses. So I'd been exposed to it. His cases were much simpler, but the process is the same. So I had been exposed to that process, so it wasn't completely new to me. But there were people who came who had not never been through that process. And, for example, if it was a case dealing with accounting or accounting or debit from a credit, that became your problem. They did not teach you accounting. They presented a case that had accounting issues in it, and you had to figure out how to solve it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, tell me, with all of your experience from there and everything that you went through um, at Harvard and all of your other experiences, what, what I guess, was the most important that you learned or you gained to help you in your business? Because that's, I mean, that's really incredible to take it to 20 million in sales to 1,200 employees. That That is awesome to be able to do that. What do you think? I, I your guess the one thing that probably was most important to me. Uh-oh. One of the Hello. things that, are you there? Okay, no, say that again. Uh-huh, say that again. Probably one of the things is, one of the things that I call one of my guiding principles, and I have about 10 or 12 of them that I've developed over the years, is defeat is not an option. Mm. Whatever I'm going through, mm-hmm. there's a, if, it's, if it's not working the way that I thought it was going to work, I try have to try something else. I cannot be defeated in that. Mm-hmm. And as long as I can keep that in front of me, I just find another way to get where I'm trying to go. And I ran through the... I, was faced with that a number of times with my business experience because mm-hmm. various challenges. For instance, when I started my business, I decided that I would start as a government contractor using what was then fairly new program, the 8A program that many people may or may not know about, 
which was designed to assist minority-owned businesses in getting the opportunity to get business, get uh, government contracts. So I applied for that program, and they, I'm thinking I'm a very likely candidate. I'm a black woman, you know, a right? With well, an MBA, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, from Harvard, they turned me down for the program. <laughs> wow. They turned me down because they said they could not guarantee they could find programs, contracts for me. Now, I've been working three years with a, a company that was an 8A contractor, and I knew that they didn't find contracts for anybody. Right. You had to go out and find your own contracts. So I'm thinking, right. I wasn't sure whether I was being rejected because I was black or whether I was a female or both or either. Right. So I had to fight to get approved for that program. I decided that right. I know I am eligible, and just because they've turned me down, I'm not going to accept that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. other thing, I guess, defeat is not an option. When I first applied to uh, Harvard, Professor Fitzgerald told me that I was Harvard material. So I just applied. I didn't take it very seriously and didn't prepare. They turned me on my application the first time. Well, mm-hmm. I don't like people mm-hmm. tell me I can't do something when I know I can Oh, so, that's all it takes for you, huh? <laughs> that's oh, that's what it takes. I have not prepared for They turned it down because my scores on the graduate management admission test weren't high enough. Well, I didn't even know anything about the test. I had never seen hmm. it, didn't even look at it before I took it. I just took it, you know. He said I was hard material, so I just took it for granted. Well, that opened my eyes. You can't take things for granted. You have to prepare yourself. So okay. what I did, I studied for the exam, retook the test, improved my scores, and resubmitted my application, and I got in. Got in. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So defeat is not an option. It's, I think, the main thing that has kept me going all of these years. I just don't like to accept defeat. I love it. I love it. It's just not an option. It's just right. it, it, there are no buts. There are no walls. There are just you just find another way. I love find it. Another, I mean, that's, you know, if I there's always an my, exception to a rule. That's right. And I have to alter mm-hmm. things a bit to get. I just I'll do that. It maybe I mm-hmm. need to relook at. Is this where I really want to go? Is this the direction I need to go? And reassess that. And if mm-hmm. the answer is still yes, I just find another way to do it. Just another way to do it. Now, what advice would you give entrepreneurs, you know, as we speak along that? Because a lot of times we know it gets difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to give up. And and and, and I know personally, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years now, and I, my first few years of it, I juggled with that whole mindset of get the good job, you know, get your education, mm-hmm. get the good job, that mentality. And although I was doing different jobs, I always had a business on the side, or I would hurriedly, couldn't wait to quit the job to do my business full time. And so I was on the 10-year uh, college degree program because my, my my mindset was always on business. Mm-hmm. And I felt um, inadequate a lot of times because I did not want to do the jobs and the way our society conditions us to think mm-hmm. that you're supposed to work for Get someone. A job. So what advice, you know, coming from that mindset and other entrepreneurs that may be in that that cycle right now thinking that way, what advice would you give First them? First thing I would just suggest is they need to be sure that this is something they're willing to commit to and make the sacrifice needed to make it successful. It is not easy. 
And a lot of people right. look at an entrepreneur and they see the results of that person being in business. And they think they got there easy. Easy. Right. But they don't right. know or understand all the behind the scene things that go on in setting up your business. I mean, I spent many a night sitting at my dining room table working on contracts because I didn't have anybody else to do it. I did every job that needed to be done initially to get things moving because I didn't want to incur a lot of overhead. Be sure you want to, you're willing to make those sacrifices and prepare yourself. I think getting experience, as I mentioned earlier, in the industry you're going into is, is crucial to save on the learning curve. Know something about you. Know your business. Keep up to date in your industry. Another mm-hmm. bit of advice is that don't try to grow so fast. Everybody okay. wants to be big. Big is not always better. Right, okay, so okay. Make sure okay. you can manage that growth both managerially and financially. There were times okay. when I turned down bidding on a contract because I knew I either didn't have the money to finance or I didn't have the managers to make sure it worked well. And believe me, bad news travels much faster than good news. It sure does. Yeah. If you renege on a contract or don't do a good job, a lot of people will know about it. You can do a good Mm -hmm. job and maybe one or two people will know about it. So Mm -hmm. those are some of the things that I would would, uh, suggest that in starting out. And learn all you can. Keep yourself up to date and abreast on your industry so that you can become – be competitive in what's going on. And in today's world of technology, anybody who isn't willing to get involved and know something about technology, you're going to be left really far behind. Right, and I love that. You, I mean, you, again, I can't say it enough as a trailblazer, you know, set an example. You're on Facebook. Now, we can kind of do the math. I, I was born in 69, so yeah. we can kind of do the math. If you don't want to tell us your age, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I've had to keep up with it. My my girls tell me that sometimes I'm a little ahead of them, but uh-huh, that's okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> but and I, I see you on Facebook there doing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I Twitter a bit. I don't like Twitter too much, but uh, uh, <laughs> there's some things I have to, I have to do if I want to be abreast and be involved in what's what's going on in in the world. And I've right, through right. those those social media, I've met a lot of people. A lot of some contacts and it it's worked well. Now I, I don't try to do it all. And right, you have to be right. aware of that. The other that's another thing for business I want to mention. Um, uh, new businesses start up. They want <clears throat> it may not be the case now as much as when or a few years ago. They want them right. run a nice office space and all that stuff. People working from home a lot, which is good. Yeah, keep your overhead yes. as low as you can. Yes, it's not always sexy to get that office space. <laughs> oh no, that no! Lead. I worked at, yes. I worked in my garage for two years when I started my business. I mm-hmm. converted my garage into an office, and mm-hmm. for me, my clients didn't come to my office. I went to them, mm-hmm. so it didn't matter where I worked. Right. Um, but I did have I did set up a separate phone line, and I had some a human person answering the phone. During that time, people used uh, answering services, answering machines a lot. But I, right. I had a human being on the end of the phone. I did. You know, there's some things I didn't want to compromise on. Right. But if you have to compromise, make sure you know which things are important in your particular business that you must have. 
Right, right. That's wonderful. Now, how can uh, we find your book? I know. Tell us a, a little bit about what um, the content okay. is as well. My book is uh, a memoir, and it, it tells about my journey. I, I say it tells about my journey to try to find my place in the world, uh, starting with my life on the farm. And I, I walked through the different phases of my life and how I ended up uh, being in New York and that whole travel and getting into business. and It's not strictly a business book, but it's a whole gamut of some things I went through, the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, mm-hmm. And it is to the the idea, and I, I had no intention of writing a book, quite frankly, but I was encouraged by a number of people based on uh, having spoken at different events and people hearing my story who said that, uh, I need to write this book to inspire other people. So the yeah. book is basically to inspire people to you know, dream big. You know, you, sometimes you have to act bold, but you need to pave your own path to get wherever it is you're trying to go. The book is available on my website. Uh, many of the bookstores don't carry it on the shelf. You have to order it from them. You can get it on my website, which is www.lillianlincolnlambert. That's L-I-L-L-I-N dot com and on the home page you can click on the picture of the book there and if you order it on my website you can get an autographed copy. I oh wonderful I'll sign it and send it to you. Wonderful, um, wonderful. So you can get information about me on that website. Um and and you also said you are on Facebook uh as I'm well. On Facebook, and, yes. Uh, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn uh and I'm uh-huh. on Twitter. Okay. And I do and a little bit on YouTube. I'm I'm getting a little better there. All right. Oh, you're I'm doing, doing you're more doing things a lot. on YouTube. <laughs> small clips, etc. Yeah. So I'm yeah. very now I spend my time now doing um uh speaking engagements and I do business coaching. So anyone okay. looking for someone for speaking you can contact me on my website. Uh or is it, you know, anyone who needs a coach to talk to you. Okay. My email can email me. My email address is Lambert L A M B E R T underscore Lillian at Yahoo dot com. Wonderful, wonderful. What would be some of your closing remarks as we um, wrap the show up? It's only two minutes left. I tell you that time goes by fast. What would you like to leave our listeners with today? Um, I guess one of the as a a quote that I read some time ago that I still use a lot, success is a journey, not a destination. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're doing, don't reach the point where you feel you've made it and you sit back on your laurels. For me, it's an endless path that I'm continuing to meet challenges and facing obstacles and learning more and newer things. You're never too old to learn something new. You know, mm-hmm. I call myself a late bloomer. I say it doesn't matter whether you bloom early or bloom late as long as you bloom. That's started right. college late, started my business at the age of 36, and I took up the game of golf at the age of 46. Now I play golf oh. at least twice a week. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, There's that's always wonderful. something to learn. For those of you who always wanted to do whatever it is you wanted to do, just go and do it. Do it. Just make it happen. Make it happen. That quote is, whatever you believe or think you can do, begin it. There is action, and you know, take action because it's, it's what is this magic, power, and grace in it. So there's never the right time. So you have to make the time right. 
Right, right now. Well, wow. Well, thank you so much. Lincoln Lambert, Lillian Lincoln Lambert, who has been our very special guest today. Uh, you can also go to her website, www.lincolnlillianlambert.com. Uh, Find her on Facebook and LinkedIn. And uh, we thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in today. Those in the chat room, we appreciate you as well. Uh, I want a special thank you to our producer, Miss Renelda. And also would love for you to tune in next week. Well, our very special guest will be none other than Miss D. Daniels. We're looking forward to having her, who's uh, the advertising guru. So tune in next week. Again, continue to have a super day. Check out the new book, Wealthy Sisters, 13 Inspiring Stories, Proving That You Can Do It Too, at WealthySistersPublishing.com. And we, again, look forward to seeing you next week. Continue to have a super day. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Wealthy Sisters, brought to you by the professional black woman, turning your concepts into cash. Join Deborah Hardnett, our host next week, as she interviews another powerful, progressive, and positive sister, and visit us on the web at www.wealthysisters.com. That's www.wealthysistas.com.